Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. God bless you, get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID-free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the individuals and organizations that was present with us on August 28th for the March on Washington was the individual and organization represented here on Make It Plain Today. And happy to have him and them here from the Black Economic Alliance is our brother, David Clooney. David, how are you, my brother? I'm well. I'm well. How are you? I'm just fine. What did you think of, that, think of that March on Washington? Listen, it was great to be around so much energy, uh, so many of our people, and to be talking about what the moment means and where we need to go from here. Obviously we had to do it safely. It's tough to do an event like that during the pandemic, but I was very encouraged to see uh, the strong level of support, the, the wide coalition of supporters uh, and just the energy that came out of that day. Uh, so I, I feel rededicated to the, the mission of, of the work that you and I are doing every day. 
So, brother, you don't have to be so polite. Tell the truth. It was hot as hell. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Listen, I was out there in a jacket, a shirt, and tie. You saw what I had. I saw, I saw you. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> That's what everybody said. I didn't get the memo, unfortunately. I did that once. I've been involved in every anniversary since the 20th. And the 50th was the first time because it was a 50th. I went for the shirt and tie. Okie doke. Never again. Yeah, uh, yeah that was. <laughs> that, that was, I could have done without that, but that one part. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I was glad you were there and it was important. Obviously, it was an even bigger coalition than we expected um, because of COVID. We were not expecting right. that crowd. Uh, but obviously, what had happened with uh, Jacob Blake, too change things and we know um that those types of things are just not going to stop we're not past um police lynching in america so let me ask you david first of all let's let's start here tell us about the black economic alliance sure so the black economic alliance is a coalition of black business leaders and allies who came together uh, just a few years ago and formed this organization to focus uh, their collective energy, dollars, expertise, and networks on improving economic conditions for black folks. Um, and these are business leaders who had been investing in politics uh, for a number of years and were very unhappy with the results um, and said, we're, we're business leaders. Why don't we invest in politics in the way that we invest um, in business, which is with a strategy, with a collective ask and a return on investment. Um, so that's how the organization was formed uh, in 2018, played in the 2018 midterm elections. Um, and we are nonpartisan, I should say. We, we are focused on good ideas um, and they can come from either party or independents. Uh, and then very quickly realized there was a need for this same type of engagement with the private sector. So started a 501c3, the Black Economic Alliance Foundation. And so now we work, really sit at the intersection of the public, private, and nonprofit sectors, driving uh, better policy and practices around uh, wealth building for black folks. So when you talk about influencing politics, um, is do you operate as a political action committee? Yes, we do. We have a uh, the flagship organization is a 501c4, that's the Black Economic Alliance, that sits on top of everything we do. We have two political action committees, so we can operate at the federal and the state level. And then we have uh, the 501c3, the foundation I described. So 2018, you all got up and running. Did you all have significant influence did you find on the midterms indeed so uh we endorsed around 25 candidates um uh, helped elect the most diverse uh, congress in history a number of members of the largest congressional black caucus in history and i should say uh importantly we support black candidates but we also support candidates from outside of the black community because it's so important to have voices in the room who are uh, smart on our issues who understand uh, and are up to speed on exactly why these things are important. Um, I can give an example of uh, the CARES Act, the largest piece of legislation to, to come out of Congress in American history. There were zero black people in the room when that, uh, that bill was being negotiated. Um, so that is exactly the kind of leadership we need uh, from BEA to be associated with the folks who are in the room uh, and to make sure that they're up to speed on our issues and understand why it's important uh, to the entire economy, not just uh, charity to black folks, which which it is not. It's interesting, about a week ago, um, we recognized the 10th anniversary of Dr. Ron Walters passing, who was probably 
our most influential political scientists and thought leaders since W.B. Du Bois. Mm -hmm. When he was alive, there were practically none, or at least no active black political action committees. And so I think even he would be uh, proud that we have several now, including the Black Economic Alliance, um, mm -hmm. trying to make a difference. And I can remember conversations I had with Elijah Cummings years ago. And we were sitting there talking and he said to me, he said, Mark, those of us in the Congressional Black Caucus have to serve the constituencies we serve, but those who make financial donations to our campaigns usually come outside of those community constituencies we serve. And, and how they always had to negotiate that. So you want to represent the inner city, but no one in the inner city could afford to make campaign contributions to keep one in office. And that's kind of always been the, 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 the dilemma in the Congressional Black Caucus. So I'm saying that to say that um, what you are doing, the Black Economic Alliance and other political action committees are doing that are black, what, they're, what you all are doing, is very, very timely and important. Absolutely, and, and I appreciate that. Uh, you know, something that I have enjoyed since joining the organization just about six months ago is the positive reception we've gotten from other political action committees, other civil rights organizations, uh, folks in the private sector and the nonprofit sector and the public sector. They say there's such a need for the perspective of black business leaders to talk about um, prioritizing economic opportunity and closing the wealth gap. Um, and, and that is your niche now. So if we're, we're talking about economic policy, uh, economic opportunity, wealth gap. Um, what are some of the issues that in, in this current cycle you are raising with candidates and want to see candidates support from you? And I'm assuming that would that would be your real return on investment. Absolutely. So, so I will say that's the return on investment. We also hold our candidates and endorsed um, candidates and members accountable by uh, prioritizing and making sure that they have uh, diverse staff members, particularly at the senior level. If you know you spent time in D.C., you've seen a dearth of black chiefs of staff, legislative directors, heads of communication. Um, so that's an important thing for us as well. But, but primarily, yes, it, it's about policy. So the things we're focused on as a part of our logo uh, are work, wages, and wealth. Um, under each of those, we have priority issues work. Um, I think the pandemic gives a, a perfect entree for why each one of these things is important, not only to the black community, but to the entire U.S. economy. And if we're going to talk about real recovery of the U.S. economy and, and sustainable growth, we have to talk about plugging up um, the, the problems that have plagued the black community for the entire history of our country. So under work, for example, um, skills training and, and upskilling. Uh, black workers are over-indexed in the jobs that are going away to uh, automation, and uh, that's just being accelerated significantly by the pandemic. So we need to figure out, and we're working with folks in the, in the private, public, and nonprofit spaces to uh, create pathways to skills training for black workers with a view on getting them into the growing industries that will be uh, the future of work uh, wages, uh, so much uh, around uh, paying a living wage, closing the, the black-white pay gap, um, and, and really just paying a livable wage uh, so folks have an avenue to build wealth. And, and under wealth building, uh, there, there's more 
to talk about than there is time to discuss. So I'll just highlight a few things like um, entrepreneurship. We know that only 1% of venture capital finance goes to black CEOs uh, and black founders. So we're doing things um, uh, both on the public policy side, but out of our foundation, for example, building um, an entrepreneur center uh, and working with the venture capital community to build a, a bridge between the venture capital community and a center for black entrepreneurs um, and, and also just exposure to that world of, of venture capital and entrepreneurship and startups uh, for black folks, um, but also access to capital is a huge issue, um, both on the personal and institutional side. I think the Paycheck Protection Program uh, was, was an example of why um, building on a faulty foundation, which is the current US financial system, and, and I know a thing or two about it coming from, uh, I worked at JP Morgan Chase uh, before joining the Black Economic Alliance um, in the Corporate Responsibility Group, leading the state and local government relations team. And I also worked at the US Treasury Department for about four years uh, in the Obama administration for two secretaries of the Treasury. Um, and essentially these, these problems have been there for a long time um, and access to capital, uh, paycheck, the Paycheck Protection Program just highlighted how black folks, um, both at the institutional level and the individual level, do not have relationships with big banks, uh, the opportunity to gain capital at the same rates. And when they when we do, we are paying a higher amount, getting lower dollar um, uh, loans, paying a higher cost of capital, so on and so forth. So we've been working on things like uh, the Jobs and Neighborhood Investment Act. We worked very closely with uh, Mark Warner, Chuck Schumer, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, who were the co-sponsors of a bill we put out uh, or they put out and, and that we had an event um, to talk about the bill the night before it was released uh, July 21st and had about a thousand people on the line and uh, really had a great conversation about the need for this bill and it was it purports to get 18 billion almost 18 billion dollars worth of direct finance um, loans uh, liquidity and even technical assistance to the community development institution and minority depository institution community um, there are over 1,100 uh, CDFIs, as we call them, and those are the, the institutions that have been in communities of color lending to people of color when big banks uh, have not been for a number of reasons. Uh, and that bill, I'm, I'm happy to say, I talked about us being nonpartisan, we picked up um, seven Democratic co-sponsors and seven Republican co-sponsors for the bill in the Senate, uh, and there are two House versions that um, chair of the House Financial Services Committee, Maxine Waters, and uh, uh, Representative Greg Meeks from Queens are working on reconciling to bring this together and, and we're just hoping that there's a bill to attach it to uh, in short order. So that's a little bit of an overview uh, of some of the issues that we are seeking support from the candidates that we get behind uh, and we make sure that they're smart on the issues and I've, I've been very encouraged by our ability to um, really work with folks uh, even like the, the Biden administration or Biden campaign, I'm sorry, got ahead of myself there. Um, we just endorsed Joe Biden and Kamala Harris about two weeks ago. And uh, how we got to our endorsement was we have talked to every candidate across the board. Uh, we had a forum last uh, last year in, in June down in South Carolina talking about uh, the importance of focusing on black economic issues. We uh, hosted calls with every candidate who would uh, who would speak with us earlier in the year in January and February. Uh, and in the last few months have had the opportunity to work with um, the Joe Biden and Kamala Harris team. First of all, phenomenal pick in picking Kamala Harris, making history um, and, and having the first black woman on a major ticket uh, uh, for VP in our history, which is sad that we're here, but we, we still are having a lot of firsts. Um, but more importantly, not more importantly, as important, we uh, talked a lot about the importance of black economic progress and what that means to the growth of the entire economy 
Um, and Joe Biden and his team, first of all, putting folks in place like Cedric Richmond, uh, former chair of the Congressional Black Caucus as his camp, uh, campaign uh, national chair, having folks like Kareem Jean-Pierre, Simone Sanders, uh, and others leading the charge at very senior levels uh, was helpful for us, but also the substance of our conversations and how much um, they were interested in hearing from our community in particular uh, as they put together their plans. And I'm, and I'm proud to say as a part of their economic plan, we had a lot of input on the uh, racial equity portion, which is one of the, the pillars of their uh, Build Back Better plan. Yeah. Um, no, that's very, very important. So in addition to the Biden campaign, obviously, are there other candidates you all have endorsed for 2020? Indeed. So uh, there are seven Senate candidates, um, a number of House candidates, some of whom are folks that we endorsed back in 2018, some of whom are new. Um, and across the board, we are essentially looking for folks who will represent the future of um, you know, people who are sensitive to the need to prioritize uh, economic progress for Black folks. So uh, one of the things you, know, you talked about your conversation with Elijah Cummings back in the day. I, I think we see progress in having candidates uh, who represent um, districts that are not necessarily uh, majority minority, folks like Lucy McBath uh, in Georgia, who we've endorsed, folks like um, uh, Cameron Webb in, um, in Virginia, folks like Antonio Delgado in New York and, and the like, and Lauren Underwood in, in Illinois. And it's really a new class uh, of folks coming in. And I will say, um, we're looking forward to expanding the, the group of folks that we've been able to endorse. Uh, I will note that all of the uh, Senate candidates we've endorsed, um, uh, unfortunately, the Senate has not done great on diversity. No. Um, and uh, one of, uh, Raphael Warnock is one of the candidates that we endorsed and he would help um, add one more, I think he would only be the, I think there've been seven black US senators in US history or since reconstruction. And um, we gotta do much better than that, uh, both in terms of the representation in, in Congress, but also the conversations we're having and, and the issues that we're prioritizing. Yeah, yeah. No, no, all, all of that is important. And it, it's also significant to note that of the candidates um, that you have endorsed uh, in including Raphael Warnock, but uh, Doug Jones, who's in a very, very tough race. Did you all have anything? Because I remember that was a thing when, when he won before. It was a thing about whether or not um, he was going to appoint a black chief of staff. And that's right. It. Were you all involved indeed in that? In, <laughs> indeed. Uh, we, we have been close with Doug Jones. We, we endorsed him uh, this time around. And uh, we were not, uh, when he ran back the first time, I believe that was 2017, we, we stood up our political action committees in 2018, but I'm happy to say I know uh, a number of the folks who are founding uh, members of BEA and, uh, and, and part of our leadership have been involved with supporting Doug Jones from day one. Uh, and we've enjoyed a really good relationship with him uh, and, and have enjoyed the opportunity to endorse him this time around as well, because he, he, he uh, walks the walk. And also in Georgia, you've endorsed uh, John Ossoff um, as well. So all of these candidates, from your point of view, uh, support um, long-term improvement to the in economic infrastructure for African-Americans. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because really, 
without that, and, and you mentioned something a minute ago, and I don't want to just pass over that. Obviously, we are disproportionately as African-Americans affected by the pandemic and by jobs and employment lost in the pandemic. But then you threw the word automation in there. Am I to understand that um, some of what African-Americans are losing even during the pandemic, David, is also to automation? Is automation, automation standing up more even now in this pandemic? So this was happening before the pandemic started. And, and I think um, we work with the Urban Institute among a number of other organizations. And uh, Sarah Rosenwartel was on uh, a program we had a few weeks back and said the, the job transformation that was going to happen as a result of automation over perhaps a 10 year period could happen in as quickly as nine months. And um, that, that trend is beginning right now uh, as we're seeing just these disproportionately high uh, job displacement numbers like we've never seen before. Um, so that is the concern around automation. And it's, it's really about the types of jobs that, um, that are going away and not coming back. And we've seen a lot of the service industry jobs, a lot of um, the, the industries that black both businesses and workers are um, oversubscribed in are exactly the types of businesses uh, that, that are not doing well during the pandemic and that are closing and but also that are more vulnerable. And I think that's the, the more important part is uh, you talked about e economic infrastructure. Generational wealth is perhaps one of the biggest pieces uh, of this puzzle, which is obviously black folks have not been building generational wealth for generations as our, our white counterparts have. Even if you start from slavery after slavery, um, for so many reasons, the, the loss of land um, that, that we had amassed at times, things like um, Greenwood, uh, Oklahoma, um, uh, or, or folks being forced off of land in the South, um, not having access to, uh, you talk about, uh, we, uh, this, this moment right now makes me think a lot about the uh, Great Depression and the New Deal that came after the Great Depression and how we put in place government programs for the purpose of building wealth. Um, like the National Housing Act uh, and categorically excluded black folks by having uh, the Federal Housing Administration, which was stood up by the National Housing Act, um, put in their underwriting standards that you could, the government was not allowed to underwrite mortgages to black folks. Uh, and then that became private sector practice for banks to redline and not um, give loans in black neighborhoods. Uh, they would say it was for the business case, but that is just one example uh, of, of why we have some of the realities that we do now, which is things like um, we have limited home ownership. 41% of black households own a home while 71% of white households own a home. And I will say that disparity is larger now than it was um, over 50 years ago when before the, um, the Housing Rights Act um, of 1968. Um, and we also have things like uh, black folks have $5.04 to every $100 of white wealth. Um, and one of the more illustrative statistics is that um, black college graduates over their lifetime will amass less wealth than white high school dropouts. Um, so if you think about college as a driver of wealth building and a path to wealth building, race is absolutely a factor if you have white high school dropouts who are amassing more wealth over their lifetime than black college graduates. And a lot of that is tied to generational obstacles to us building wealth and passing it down. Tell us more about what the Black Economic Alliance would like. <clears throat> let's be realistic. I guess best case scenario. If 
Mike were to win the White House and take office in January, and that's a big if, because I don't, I don't think old boy is gonna let. I mean, he ain't trying to leave. We know that, but that's a whole other conversation. In a lot of ways, we have a lot of work to do between now and yeah, election yeah. day and beyond. Yeah, but if things were to go the way they're supposed to go in a democratic, non-fascist situation, mm -hmm. Biden wins the White House. Democrats hold the House and quite possibly hold the Senate, even if not a filibuster-proved majority. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about what the Black Economic Alliance would say. This is what we need for the African-American community from an economic perspective in the first <clears throat> 100 days. Yeah. So you talked about Black economic infrastructure. Access to capital is, is one of the pivotal issues uh, that we have to address right away. And that's something we can do both in the public sector with things like the bill I talked about. And, and we're absolutely going to remain dogged if this thing does not get passed in part or in whole uh, during this Congress. That is something we're absolutely going to take up in the new Congress. Um, but that's something that the private sector needs to work on as well. And uh, we've had this moment of, you know, some folks calling it uh, racial reckoning. Um, and, and companies figuring out brand new ways to start funds and invest in communities of color in ways that they never have. So that needs to be part of the conversation as well um, in a systemic, long-term, sustained uh, way where you have folks at the table talking about what this means to the, to the U.S. economy. So there's a, a McKinsey report that came out in 2019 that showed if you were to close the black-white wealth gap, you could add between 4 to 6% to U.S. real GDP by 2028. And if we're thinking about how we are going to recover in our economy from, you know, the worst hit we've seen, at least since um, the, the financial crisis of 2008, if not worse, uh, that has to be part of the conversation is the, the financial infrastructure of the black community. So that is a, that is a big uh, priority for us, as is skills training. And that skills training is another example of something that the public sector and private sector can be working on at the same time, um, firing on all cylinders. And, and I will say, I think the private sector is more nimble in that space and they're, they're able to set up um, programs and fund organizations that are doing a lot of this work that are plugged into communities already. I think we need to um, make the government programs more efficient. Uh, the Black Economic Alliance, if you go to our website, blackeconomicalliance.org, we have a white paper that talks about some um, policy uh, suggestions and, and recommendations for how to streamline uh, some of the government programs uh, around um, around skills training and and to be able to close that gap that I talked about, the, the skills and opportunity gap. Um, and then pay equity is, is a huge thing that, again, that there are levers to pull on the um, public sector side and on the private sector side. Um, and home ownership is a huge, huge focus that has been the primary driver of wealth for Americans over generations. And that has also been one of the primary places that racism has shown up and been an obstacle to Black folks um, achieving home ownership and a, and a being able to build wealth. And again, a place where there is just prime opportunity for the public sector and the private sector um, to, to really be um, pushing forward on this on parallel tracks, but also working together to figure out how we can make systemic change and not um, more window dressing. I, I am extremely interested and, and excited about the opportunity to have the moment we're having on race right now, and perhaps a new set of leadership um, in the House, the Senate, and the White House next year to have something like the Civil Rights Act of uh, 2021, where, where we are focusing on economic parity and economic opportunity as a driver um, to achieve um, racial equity. Yeah, uh, no, that, that's, that's all very well put. Has the Black Economic Alliance taken a <clears throat> on HR 40 yet? 
No, we have not, not publicly. Because um, some of us, and I serve on the National African American Reparations Commission, you know, one of the arguments that bill makes is that we missed out on the long-term investment that established the white middle class, which didn't just happen, you know, it just it didn't, it didn't happen on the cabbage patch, so to speak. I mean, you right. had the Homestead Act, you had, you know, the GI Bill, Social Security, which originally excluded us. Right. And if we had been, if those same opportunities had been availed to those of us, you know, um, then, like you said, I mean, we'd be a lot farther along. And then we look at the private sector after um, this rec reckoning. We've, we've heard a lot of symbolic statements. But you're right in terms of there being real investment, real support, real infrastructure. That's really what we need the private sector to pick up and do, don't we? That has to be an all-hands-on-deck approach. And, and let me say, even though we haven't taken a position on HR 40 for the uninitiated, that's the bill that looks into creating a um, commission to study um, reparations proposals. Um, the, the conversation of reparations is a relevant one because it, it forces us to look at the historic context of how we got to where we are. And that is, I think, the important part of how we need to approach any future proposals about how to close the wealth gap. Uh, and that's exactly what we talk about when we talk about building uh, black economic infrastructure. Um, so I think it is a worthy conversation for us to have and, and, you know, people can differ about the best way to get there, but it is, we absolutely have to look at um, the government action and private action that got us to where we are today. And I think the housing market is a great example of, of how you can draw a direct connection to um, government action and the current state of, um, of economic um, inequality today. And now tell us about September 18th. So very excited. Uh, just on Friday, September 18th, uh, National Black Voter Day was announced for the first time. It is uh, an effort uh, led by BET, the National Urban League, and the Black Economic Alliance is among a group of um, impact partners pushing this day for the first time. It, it didn't exist before this year. And we created National Black Voter Day in an effort to get Black voters thinking about uh, there are five steps you take. You register, check your registration, make a plan to vote, um, get your people, get folks around you to, to come with you, and then get out and, and cast your vote. And, and what this is really is, a, is about is starting early. Um, Friday, September 18th was the first day that any state started casting ballots. So we say, don't wait until election day to find out you're not on the voter rolls. Start now. We know that 2020 has been a challenging year in every way possible. It is also going to be more challenging this year likely than it has been ever in the past to vote. So you should start the process early, allow time to um, work out any discrepancies that may happen uh, and make sure you have your vote counted. Uh, and we are very excited about the opportunity to have record numbers uh, for, for black folks and for all voters to come out. And let me say uh, 2016 was a really disappointing year uh, in a number of ways, but particularly because of voter engagement. Uh, you had almost 100 million people um, out of all eligible voters who did not vote. And um, out of black voters, that was the lowest black voter turnout we'd had in over 20 years of presidential elections. And I think we can, we know folks did not feel uh, very engaged. Um, but I think we've also seen in the past four years, the, the result of not showing up 
uh, and what that means for us and, and our entire economy and our entire, you know, the entire country, not just the black community, but particularly the black community. So um, we're really excited about National Black Voter Day and, and the effort to start this early, get folks voting early. And we say by mask or by mail, whether you're going to vote by mail or in person early. Um, over 40 states allow you to vote early this year. So getting folks, uh, again, that's a place they can go to uh, blackeconomicalliance.org. Uh, we have a tool for folks to register, um, get updates, so they can get texted updates about um, important deadlines and, and dates to make sure they know uh, about early voting, about their polling place, uh, all the information you need, you can find at blackeconomicalliance.org. Folks, blackeconomicalliance.org, very important organization doing very important work. We need to cover this struggle on all fronts, absolutely. And that's what our brother in the Black Economic Alliance are doing. David Clooney, our very special guest. Brother, thank you for joining us, man. Thank you, brother. It's been a pleasure. Yes, sir. It has been. Thank you. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.